0: The Today's job is Ayin Dalit, 74. We are in the uh, penultimate parak here. Um, not the penultimate, the ultimate parak. We're in the last parak. finally talking and moving beyond the Avodah and talking about the actual day of Yom Kippur itself from our perspective, focusing on the prohibitions. We'll get later into the issues of the um and, um, we, um and we kick up at the very top of Ayin Dalit and um, the issue here was the language of the Mishnah, where the Mishnah says that it was, um, what do you call it, the Mishnah says that it's Asur to eat on Yom Kippur, to eat and drink, which um, the Gemara sort of felt was a little bit of an understatement, given the prohibition of, um, that it was biblical and that it was a Isur Karate. So the Gemara's response was that Asur can refer to the case of even eating, eating less than a Shi'ur and introduced the debate of Rabbi Yochanan Rish Lakish that less than the minimum amount Chatsi, Ur is, um, is, uh, is uh, still going to be prohibited according to Rabbi Yochanan biblically according to Rish Lakish rabbinically and that's the language of Asur uh, because it is forbidden maybe even biblically or rabbinically but it's that does not deserve the weight to say Isur Kare because it's less than a Shia within that debate and that's going to be the focus of our discussion today is that question of Chatsi, we have the question that if somebody takes a Shavu'ah, um not to eat, and they eat trefus, that um, according to the Chachamim, it's a debate of the Chachamim and Rabbi Shimon, but according to the Chachamim, they still uh, transgress, violating their shrua. And the question is, why aren't they mushba ve'omei, pre-sworn, foresworn, against that already? So one answer is, it's, an, it's a, called a kolel took a general shrua not to eat, <coughs> so although some of it relates to things he's already forsworn against, like trefus, it also relates to eating any food. So once it takes effect, it takes effect. And therefore even if you tray food, the shrua took effect and you violate not only eating trefus, you violate your shru'a. That's one answer. Well, he said no. The case was that he said a shrua that he won't eat a half a year. He won't eat less half of kazayas. According to Rabbi Akiva, you don't even have to say that. Rabbi Akiva says a, a normal shru'ah that says you won't eat means even a tiny amount. So either you said it or you implied it. Um, and therefore, you're not mushpah the omate. You're not forsworn against a half a of chazer because that's not a biblical violation. And therefore, your shru'ah takes effect. So the Gemara says, but according to Yishwaki, if it's even minimally rabbinically forbidden, should not you at least be forsworn? which is an interesting idea, that things that are rabbinic are also seen under a biblical mandate, let's say, or prohibition of not to violate the words of the rabbis. So how does that make sense? So let's pick up on the Gemara's answer. Two lines from the top, a nine dollar for One minute. Maybe you will respond and say, maybe he'll respond and say, since biblically it's permissible although the rabbis forbade it K'chayel Korban shvuah. that that's why the Shavua, the and the consequence of violating the shvuah the Korban, if you did it, uh, um, if you did it unintentionally, maybe that's why the prohibition of the shvuah takes effect. That yes, Reis Laki says it's rabbinically forbidden, less than a shir, but it's not biblical, and that, and e- so even though it is rabbinic, the shvuah can take effect on it. Um, that's not, one minute, I'll give you an example where something is only a rabbinic problem, and the shvuah does not take effect, That thus the rabbinic problem gets in the way of the shrua, Shruata idut. If you take, if you now, this is basically what they would do before the age of subpoena, not before the age, but whatever. This is what the Torah sort of mandates as how the, the, to use the uh, to have the same effect as a subpoena. Is if you believe somebody has testimony for you, um, you make them take a shrua, and the shru, and you basically say, uh, you know, you you impose a shrua on them that they don't that uh, you know that that uh, that if that, that they if they have any testimony, they have to come and testify, and then if the person. Um, you know, withholds the testimony, if they withhold the testimony after they've been f- sworn to uh, by I you, you it's outside of the court, you go... Uh, you no, because it's actually... Okay, we're not learning Shavuot Ha'idut, but actually it's a case that you can impose a shvuah on someone, and therefore, if they know testimony it, they will then violate. So who does that apply to? So when we learn Shavuot, we can figure out all the parameters of that, but the Mishnah says... Um, it only applies to people who could come and give testimony Now, in the first place Now, you say, oh, that's a reasonable statement You know, there are people that are Fasul, You have, you know, a goslin You have women who are not recognized, you know, according to Allah and, You know, in a, sort of in a formal way to give testimony Other ways in which women play, you know, can give evidence But not in a formal role of ajut And so on so that's who it's excluding. The only problem is that the Mishnah had already said explicitly it doesn't apply to women, it doesn't apply to minors, it doesn't apply to Gazwanim. So then it says, and it only applies to people who can testify. So who else are you excluding? Okay, and we asked on this, Limutei um, Mai. What is that additionally excluding? Limutei um, uh, Mai. a king because a king you can't testify against him and he can't testify in court for various reasons what? right but it's not mentioned in that Mishnah so that phrase meaning we're not talking mentioned elsewhere that Mishnah did not explicitly exclude king that's what it's excluded no to exclude people that are rabbinically uh, disqualified like a dice player Gamblers, right? Gamblers are rabbinically disqualified. One of two reasons: either because they're not involved in like a, you know Yeshuvo Sho Olam, the type of like a, you know labor that's productive. Uh, productive labor, right? Labor that's helpful for the world. So therefore, there's a concern that they're at the margins there, you know, and therefore they might uh, that they don't as much sort of uh, you know um, value. The uh, the 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 type of earnings that come through the through the normal types of like uh, you know efforts of building up the world, so therefore they might be more easily easy to bribe um, and to pay off for their testimony. Um, And the other reason is a more technical reason. It's that actually this is a type of fest. It's maybe rabbinic fest, a lo but you make a bet and you pay, and the other person was really not expecting to lose the bet, the only reason he made the bet. So therefore, there's like an element of gzelah going on here. So those are various reasons, but either way, it's only rabbinic. And here you imposed a biblical shvua, biblically guy should come up to the court, He's not testifying. He doesn't violate his shrua because since rabbinically he can't, he's off the hook. So you see the rabbinic prohibition has consequence in the world of shrua. So why don't we say the same thing that you're biblically forsworn to, I mean, the rabbinic prohibition of eating less than a shir prevents the biblical shu'ah. The same way here, the fact that rabbinically you can't testify prevents the effect of this biblical shu'ah. That's the question. So let's see what the Gemara answer is. Masachet <laughs> B'Kuvya is biblically allowed to testify. it's only the rabbis who invalidated him. And nevertheless, once the rabbis invalidated him, the shu'ah, he's irrelevant and the shu'ah doesn't take effect. So let's say the same about eating less than a the so, and you see the sure doesn't make effect once he's rabbinically prohibited so the verse says no Shani Hasam, there it's different across the verse says in if he does not testify the no he'll bear the burden of his sin he cannot testify meaning it doesn't matter whether it's biblically he's qualified. The reality is, if he shows up in court and says, I'm here to testify, we'll slam the door in his face. Even if he testifies, we'll dismiss the testimony. So there's no way he can have any liability for not testifying. The Torah doesn't say, if you're not if you're an aide, you 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 bear the burden of Yeshua. It says if you don't testify. So we're only talking about somebody who practically has the ability to testify. Okay? So let's you know, let's say somebody is, I don't know, is mute. is mute. Right, exactly. You know, let's say somebody is in prison and it's impossible, nobody's gonna let him out to testify. Oh but technically he's kosher us. It doesn't matter. The shmuva is for violating it. Is for when you have the ability to testify and you did it. Whatever is preventing you, whether it's the rabbinic restriction or whether it's that you're locked up in jail, that you cannot be held liable for violating the shmuva. It's not about being theoretically fit to testify, as opposed to our case. Our case is even that you, are you considered to be forsworn. Are you considered to have be biblically already prevented from eating this half of a kazayus of Khazar? And the answer is no. You might not be allowed to rabbinically, but it's not like you're mushful, like you're forsworn. The whole idea is we took a shavu on Har Sinai. You're not biblically forsworn. And that's about the status of this half a of chazer. Is it something that, all, that, that already biblically is off limits? And there the answer is no. And therefore Yeshua can take effect. So, yes. I just don't remember. What would the Gemara have had the lashon of the Mishnah be if not Asur? Chayav um, kares. Um, you know, ha'ochav HaShoseh Chayav kares. But, you know... the implication that... Every time the Mishnah says it would, it, said, it, the it would have said Hayah, that means. It would have said Hayah, look. Um, you know, um, um, yeah, yeah, but the, the Rambam for example, um, in, uh, Yochus if I remember correctly, says, a, says he's more even systematic than the Gemara. Okay, he he says, every that. time I'm going to say Asur, it means Drabanan. Every time I'm going to say Chayav, it means yes, Deraita. Yes, it the Gemara be. is not, the Gemara, you know, is not as rigorous as that. But again, saying Asur, which suggests Drabanan, does not suggest something great. He little, minimally, he should have said Chayav. Chayav you know. yeah, it means a short hit hayat or at least sky right. of a biblical love or something more weighty right right all right, so uh, that's the opposite. That's right. patura balasura. and Anytime you say patura, means... Anyway, so, uh, okay, so, so that's the answer. Uh, yes, but uh, according to Rashi, Lakish it's rabbinic, and that, the fact that it's not biblical, by Adas it's one thing, but here the fact that it's not biblical is enough to say that the Shua takes effect. By the way, there's an interesting question of psule Adas de Rabbanan for other halachas. Let's say you have somebody, an aid at a wedding, or an aid of a get, that's puzzled to Rabbanan, right? Does that invalidate the wedding of a get? Right, so there, you know, if it's, it's the people that testify that look, that are well, aiding at the wedding are aiding, yeah, okay, or or at a in, they're not coming to court to testify like this case of 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 uh, Shua sure to us, where oh I can't, the court will never accept me. It sort of just the need of Aiden to give weight to the act and to make the act a meaningful act of kiddushin or gerushin. So, do we say that it takes effect to a or do we say no? The only reason the Aiden give weight to it is because in theory they could come to court and testify. What would it apply to somebody who would never be accepted in court? So, there's a major debate of the we've shown him whether somebody who's pasul to rabbanan whether he would invalidate a wedding or a or get to a righta. So, that's so the only yes. Why being no a woman is no. puzzled a Alright, though. So that's uh, that's different. Okay, so G'may sounds like this. How so, like that? Uh, <laughs> no, you have to like It's a debate. I <laughs> know. Okay, so Kolhei'cha detani and Oshkaries lo So now asks sort of Dove's question. One minute. Uh, you know w- w- what's getting you so upset? You mean to tell me anytime you say if something is really weighty and punishable by kares, you <coughs> wouldn't use the phrase just forbidden? Vatania. We have a Braita that says, Although they said that it's all forbidden, which is basically here exactly referring to our mission of Yom Kippur, it's also to eat, to drink, and all these things, and to, you know, uh, bathe and anoint yourself even though it says the phrase Asur by all of them the only thing you get carries for is eating and drinking and doing malacha so you see the brighter very much clarifies the word Asur in the Mishnah refers to all of them but the brighter clarifies that there's different weight to Achil and on the one hand and everything else on the other but you see Asur, the word Asur could apply to all of them it needs clarification but it could apply so Hachikama no this is what it means so she'amru asur when the, the brightest thing when the mission says it's forbidden Number one is when it talks about eating and drinking asur only refers to a half a Otherwise we wouldn't have used the phrase asur. Okay, about kishir if we're talking about the full amount enosh you get kares. Even though you get kareit, You only get it for eating and drinking in doing malacha. Quite a you know a forced reread of that brayta. The brayta explicitly acknowledges that the Mishnah used the phrase asur for everything, but points out the different weights. The gemara is committed to its idea that the word asur would not be applied to enosh kareit, and therefore rereads the brayta to say yes, it uses asur for all of these because we're talking about chasishir. By the way, let me tell you among those things eating and drinking, when you do them this year, you get kareis but the other things you'll never get kareis okay but again it's quite bizarre because the whole point of the breitah is to point out that although the same term is being used they're of different weights and the Gemara you know rereads rereads the to so that it would not be the same term being used the Gemara is very committed to the idea that it would not use the word asur by something that is enosh kare the ibai's Aima, and if you want says the Gemara Kik Tani Asur ashara. When it says Asur, right, Asur it Meaning, yes, I'm still committed to this idea, again, somewhat ignoring the B'rightah, I'm still committed to this idea that, um, that uh, Asur will not refer to Enosh Kareit, but rather than saying the Mishnah is talking about a hati we say Asur, because that's the appropriate term for the rest of the things in the Mishnah. Another way to have said it is, since we're going to mention, like, you know, and for those the right word to use is Asur so we throw in Achil and Shia as well if we were just talking about Achil and Shia we wouldn't say Asur, we'd say Chayav but since Asur applies to the rest of the list that's the word we're going to use in the Mishnah and that's a very reasonable explanation and that explains the Brita so the Brita comes along and says yes, we use the word Asur for all of them but you should be aware that the first two are in a very different category okay so yes in principle asur would never have applied to the first two we used it because it applies to the rest of the list and even though we've used the word asur for the whole list be aware that the first two are of a very different type what and are Amish, colors. what's the onus? Uh, so we'll talk about that in a minute okay um, okay Dittanu Rabba Rabi Yosef because Rabban and Reb Yosef taught, de In the other books of the House of Rab, I'm going to get back to explain what that means in a minute. Um, that, um, How do you know Yom Kippur is forbidden in bathing, anointing, wearing sandals, and sex? Shabbaton. It says it shall be, you know, it's a Shabbaton shvus It shall be a day of. Cessation, cessation of even of these related issues that relate to afflicting yourself, even these other issues so now there's a lot to unpack here. number one is what is this um, 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 what is this Sifre de Bey Rab, the other w- w- books of the House of Rashi. Take a look at Rashi Sidelines before the lines get r- ride. Rashi says char de Las Kahanim. all the other kind of it. So sort of books that are not Sefer Sefazayidaber, meaning Bamidbar, the Ayyu which is what is the name of the Midrashe Halacha on Bamidbar and Zbarim? Anybody? Sifra. which means books. If you think about it, what's the work on Yikwa called? It's tfra, some call it but Sifra. So the it's like the book. book exactly. Because Toskahanim is, you know, the there's probably the the most elaboration it's actually quite fascinating why that's true Um, there's a an article out by Shlomo Na'ed about 20 years ago or so where he actually wants to argue that the Tanaitic work on Vayikra the Sifra Taz Kahanim is the earliest uh, work of Tarshabeth that was ever written down. Which, and he makes it quite early, which is happening. Because even the Gemara wasn't you know, the mission wasn't written down to like the fifth, sixth century or whatever. He argues that the Torah Kahani was written down already in the Tanakhic period. He thinks that it's because, as we know, as we've been talking about all along, the shift from a temple oriented, you know, focused, you know, religion to a Torah one that but there was, you know, to the for so long it was all about the temple that the earliest stuff that was written down and the folk, the initial focus of Talmud Torah was around halachot related to the mitzvah. Anyway, so Torah Kahanim was fascinating how he talked it's fascinating how he proves it. I just have to tell you how he proves it because the article sounds, starts out like it's going to be the most boring article on, on the planet because he talks about different organizations of the seafront. If you ever try to find something in the seafront, it's impossible. It's divided up into Parshia and Prakim and there are like three different systems of organization going on there. So he looks like at all of the different systems of our organizations, makes all these charts, tries to figure out like what the original organization is. Like it's you know so crazy technical. But the upshot is he finds out that the, oh, the original organization is not based on, you know, theme, is not based on parsha it's based on length. Well, it has I a standard length. That, right? And he says, why do you want a standard length? Other things in the rabbinic literature aren't divided up by length. You have fucking that are huge, the first type of kiddushin, prokkim that are tiny. He says, what things do you need standard length for? Things Scrolls. Things remember, remember when we used to have things called cassette tapes? Remember how cassette tapes were 60 to 90 minutes, maybe yeah. Bikoshi 120? Because mm-hmm. you don't want it too short, then you need a million cassette tapes. You don't want it too long, you need too much scrolling to do. So when things are scrolls, you need them to be within a standard size. And he shows how in the classical world, there was a standard size for scrolls, which correspond to the division of Torah's kahanas. And that's his argument that Torah's Kahanim actually was the first written work of Torah Shabal Peh. Fascinating article. Anyway, I say all this because I went to know the digression, but because Torah's Kahanim is the Sefer. It's like the primary work of Midrash Halacha. And then the other Midrash Halacha on the other wor- works of the Torah, by Midver and Dvarim, is the Sifrei. The other, the books, the other books. Shar Sifrei Debeirav. Sometimes you'll see on an edition of the Sifrei, it'll be Sifrei Debeirav. The House of Rab, because Rab, as a very early Amora, was seen you know, as like the editor of the uh, Sifrei. By the way, while we're talking about it, what's the name of the work on the Midrash Halacha on Shamos? Mechilta. You know what Mechilta means? The, the, the Collection. Content, content. Collection. Right. So very generic word. The book. The books collect and anyway, fine. So they taught this in in this which is quite fascinating because of the pasik they quote is from Bayikra, Shabbaton Shroz. So I don't know which pasuk it was going on. That's number one, the phrase of Sharsif de Beirab. Number two, this is now fascinating because now we have the basis for the prohibition of these other things, of the things that are not eating and drinking. So let's take a look at where this prohibition comes from. Look at the Rashi now, the next Rashi, four lines from the wide lines, Shabbaton. The Inuit It says by Inuit, right? What does it say at the end, right? We just finished reading through the whole Avodah in Achre What does it say after the Avodah of Achre It says, um, after the whole Avodah of Achre Mos, it says, yes. So Shabbaton is connected to Inoi So what does that mean? Gabba Inuit the same way the word Shabbaton is something by Shabbos that the rabbis use to connect to it other things that are quite fascinating phrase of Rashi other milachot that are not real melechah we would have said rabbinic restrictions by fascinating that Rashi calls the rabbinic restrictions on Shabbos other milachot of a lesser nature Shilohi okay yubimishan. Yubimishan. they're not the real milachot, but he calls them milachot. but the same way Shabbaton is a concept by Shabbos to create the whole rabbinic prohibitions of Shabbos Hachanami here too. Shabbaton digave inoy. The Chiz Shabbaton who lachem lahosifal It's coming to add to the sense of affliction. Achilav The primary affliction, and to add to it, these other things of washing and bathing. Now, that is a very ambiguous Rashi. Because if I asked you, according to Rashi, is um, is these other, are these other things biblical or rabbinic? What would you say? Yeah. You say that's it, you would start by saying rabbinic because he has Asmuchuge Rabbana, the rabbi. But then, first of all, the term he uses, el-Achot, by Shabbos is suggestive. But also, when he says this phrase, "lahosif al inoyachiluchaki," is coming the pasuk, the phrase is coming lahosif. He doesn't say because of this phrase the rabbis were you know used it as an asmachta and added the phrase is coming lahosif. So this is going to get us into the fascinating debate of the rishonim whether the other inoyim are biblical or rabbinic okay? Is it rabbinic? And this is an asmachta? Is it biblical, but maybe a little open-ended biblical? Like the exact parameters of what's included in this idea of Shabbatot, that's for the rabbis to figure out, to define, but the concept and the basic idea is a biblical one. There are Rishonim that believe that the extra inuyim are biblical, but the rabbis have somewhat of a free hand of defining its character and shape. I think Rashi is quite ambiguous on that score. He starts by saying, asmachu He ends by saying that it is the Pusk is coming to the So that's one question of biblical rabbinics. There's another <coughs> important question which is what are the nature of these additional inuim or the nature of Inuit at all? First of all by Shabbat and by Shabbos what is the nature of the rabbinic restrictions on Shabbos? So there's actually both Rambam and Ramban Say that the rabbinic restrictions derive from the biblical concept of Shabbaton. And by the way, there too, they make it clear that it's not just Dharabbanan and asmachta. They see that the process of rabbinic legislation on Shabbos of is, is giving like meat and bones to a, you know, to a biblical mandate of Shabbaton that goes beyond the Malachot that it's connecting ultimately to a biblical idea of Shabbaton. It's not just an asmachta. What is the concept of that rabbinic Shabbaton? Here there's an interesting debate. The Ramban says the primary concept, not of all Drabanans, but of the idea of Shabbaton in the Torah, in addition to malacha, is that it's not just about creative activity, but it's about exerting you know, labor, exertions. It's about work that we would call work, exertion. And that, he says, is the concept of Shabbaton in, you know, in the Torah. Sa- Rambam says, no. Shabbaton in the Torah, and this connects to Rashi's idea of shar-melachot, tells the rabbis that you, we, what has to be forbidden is not just the melacha proper, but anything that could lead to the melacha, like reading by candlelight, or anything that's similar to a melacha. For example, like, you know, doing a, something with a shinoi okay, so technically you're off the hook right. but it's still it's like a right, exactly something that looks like cooking so for the Rambam the Shabbaton means things that are similar to the Korma Lachot as opposed to Ramban where they're a separate but related concept it's not just about creative activity it's about exertion that's by Shabbat by Yom Kippur as well there's an interesting question of how do you understand the basic idea of inuy, and to what degree is inuy connected to the idea of shabatone? Mostly, we think, what's the idea of inuy? You know, some type of a tshuva we process. Know, you know, you, exactly. You make yourself pained, and you know, and are and you doing these things, and yeah, it, the should be, it should be it be a kapara, etc. Rambam calls his halachot of yom kippurim hilchos shvisas asor. The resting on the 10th day, and he says, the Torah says, Shabbaton, Shabbat Shabbaton hilachem, Shabbat mimlacha, Shabbat meachila v'shiya, that is actually an idea of separating from the world. The same way we normally separate from the world in terms of doing labor, we're going to separate from the physical aspects of the world and not engage in the physicality of the world. And we're going to spend one day at this very elevated plane of not act, of trying to be you know, as non-physical as possible. But it's not about hurting yourself. It's about freeing yourself from this you know, anchoring in the physical world. Very different type of a concept. So it's worth noting that this rasha of the other, other Inuyim Focuses on the word of Shabbaton and the parallel that Rashi is giving us to the way the idea of Shabbaton by Shabbat. So, a couple again to review a very interesting point that we number one. Number one interesting question of this, the midrash Halacha Shars De'efra Bay Rav. I went off on a little tangent about the De'efra, but the important idea is in for of course, Those the other ones. Number two. The idea of uh, is is the, are the inuyim of Yom Kippur Raita, or Raiza Drabanan. Rati sort of I think is a little ambivalent about that, speaks about do-rabbanan then says the Pask is coming to add. And number three, the parallel to Shabbat, which is that by Shabbat you also have an idea of Shabbaton. Rambam and Ramban also think is a Dio although do-rabbanan came to give sort of like I said you know uh, the form to it and shape to it and so on there there's a debate how you conceptualize what that concept of Shabbaton is how does it relate to the Malachot Rashi emphasizes a very close connection to the Malachot and by Yom Kippur as well do we conceptualize the issue of Inui from a Shabbaton (coughs) concept or do we conceptualize it in a very different way, affliction, pain, suffering, tshuva, and so on, or is it more related to this Shabbat, Shabbaton concept? You can yes. that the shah, I mean, um, are biblical, but with a lesser onish? That certainly, they're not correct that right. we've been saying. Okay. The question is saying more than just not correct because we'll see there are exceptions to the rule and so on, so that's why most Rishonim that say it's still, everybody says it's not correct that was the whole point, right. most Rishonim go that say it's still right, the uh, are clear to say but the rabbis have a pretty free hand in defining what is the content of that Shabbatot Okay, the the, the Ramban argues that something like and and mukta are about exertion? No. He says, that, he, says he admits that there's plenty of drabanans that are not about Shabbaton. Okay. But those drabhanams that are linked to the Shabbaton concept are the ones that are about exertion. As his is the primary The other one would be like also also like a day of business and so on. Right. Other things. Money. Mm, yeah, exactly. So uh, what does Rambam do with the Lashon of knew? It's fine to say from Shabbaton and it's really Right. Like, it's for them, but okay, that's Shabaton. a good question. Let's keep that in mind as we're going through Okay, okay so anyway, where do we end Right now, the, we have the most, most satisfying answer where the Gemara concedes look. It doesn't want to give out the idea that Asur fundamentally would never apply to Chiyuv Kareit, but it concedes that we use the word Asur because of the rest of the things on the list. And once there we're going to use the word Asur, and there it's not Kareit. If it's a right to the we know that it's not Kareit. We use the word Asur. Everything in the that comes to clarify, yes, we use the word Asur, but don't forget, Achyu and is Chayav Kareit. Now we go to the looking at the issue of Rav and Rebbe Shlakish. We'll get back to Yom Kippur in a little bit. Gufa, let's go back to that earlier issue. Chazi shir. Reb Yochman Amar says it's biblical by eating a part le- less of a shir, presumably by not the, by Yom Kippur. We said it by other forbidding foods. The whole discussion by the shvua uh, and uh, half of a sh- half of a of, of like Chazer Reish lo geshamer mutami Tara, It's biblically permissible. Rav Yehonatan Amar asumim natarah. It's biblically forbidden. Why? Kiman the Khazi leads the Rufe, since in theory it could combine with with you know you could eat a half a k'zayis and another half a k'zayis. Isur You're eating something forbidden. Reish lo geshamer mutami natarah. It's biblically permissible. Permissible. Why? Achilav erchmana. The Torah normally says don't eat. The You didn't do an act of eating. Now it's quite fascinating that they're debating it all conceptually in a minute we're going to see that Rabbi Yochanan bases himself on a verse and this question of Rabbi Yochanan uh, well it's leads tarufe you know what does that mean like you know there's actually some Achronim just to tell you who say let's say you ate a half of a kotevet on Yom Kippur right as the sun was setting or right as the stars were coming out. So it's not chadilit starufe. There's no way it's the beginning of a process. You'll never be able, on this Yom Kippur, this will never have turned into, right, a forbidden act. What would (coughs) Lakish say? So part of this is a question of what does Lakish mean by um, what's the point of it and we actually should take a step back and say why is it that there normally is a minimum why is there a minimum that you don't get lashes for Chazor unless you eat a Zayus? how do you conceptualize that so there's actually a two basic ways of understanding that this. this is like in classic brisker Lundish one is did you eat it? Did you eat chazer? Yeah, yeah, eat chazer. But you know what? <laughs> if, if you didn't do it, what? If, if you know, there's a minimum threshold that it was bad enough to be to get some punishment for. But if I said when the Torah says, "Don't eat chazer," the did I transgress at first? Did I eat navelah? Yeah. Yes, you did. But you just didn't do enough of it that you're deserving of punishment. Technically, that's really saying you transgressed the law. It's just a minimum for the threshold to be punished for. If that's the way you conceptualize it. Right? then that's Torah. then when the Torah says don't do it even a tiny bit you've transgressed the Shir is just said for a minimum to get lashes but you've already transgressed that's a total Rebbe Yochanan read of it okay there's another way to say it another way of saying it is it's not that you did the act to so be considered an act not just you've done enough eating to say that you ate you don't eat until you've eaten because otherwise what you say I tasted the chaser I nibbled on the chaser you wouldn't say I ate there's a minimum amount that qualitatively changes the nature of the act and says you ate it so that's what Reish Lakish is saying Reish Lakish is saying you didn't do an act of eating chaser did chazer go in your body? yeah but could we say you did an act of eating? you didn't do an act of eating Reb Yochanan's response could be you did an act but you just don't get the punishment but if that doesn't seem like that's Rabbi Yochanan's response his response seems to be I'm not debating that you didn't do an act of eating. But was the thing th- that you put in your body, was it called chazer? Yes, it was called chazer. So even if all you did was nibble chazer, you didn't eat chazer, you tasted chazer, you nibbled it, right? That also the Torah would forbid. It's not the same prohibition. It's not lotochel, you know, lotochlu, whatever. But when the Torah says lotochlu, the Torah implicitly is saying, don't nibble it, don't taste it, don't do other things about getting it in your body either. That's like an implicit sub-thing. It's not the act of Achila. And that's why Rav Yochanan says, since it's chavi notice the phrase in the Gemara, isura ka achil. He didn't say, because it's chavi you did an act of eating. I'm not debating it until you eat a kazai if, if what you did the act is not considered achila but what I am saying is if, since if I nibble a little bit and five little minutes later I nibble a little bit more we combine them that shows me that at least in terms of how we're relating to the object we're still considering it chazer right Where you still put chazer in your body if you put chazer in your body you've still done something wrong okay so that is Rabbi Yochanan's position is so it's an interesting sort of conceptual debate maybe a, you could say you've done eating, but you don't get malchus, but you still transgress. That would be a very strong version of Rabbi Maybe everybody could agree the act you did is not called an act of achila. Rabbi Yelsonan says even if you didn't do an act of achila, you put chazar in your body, you've done something wrong. Which um, and let's take a look now as the Gemara tries to base it on a pasuk. Okay, so uh, the Gemara says like this. say, I think they saw some hands, but I want to just get get a little bit further here. Um, Ayezir Reb Yochanan Resh uh, Lakish. Reb Yochanan challenged Resh Lakish. Ami ella koch yes no be enosh be onesh yes no be yatzara. I only know this is by the pesukim of not eating chaylev. It says it says ko chaylev lo tochelu. Don't eat any chaylev. Kikol ocho chaylev v'nichrasa. Anybody who eats chaylev will get karate. So I only know people that will get karate are the people that transgress. How about somebody who won't get kareid? Is it possible to transgress without getting kareid? Koi, which is this animal that's a hybrid between a behemoth and a chayah, a chati shear. If you eat less than the shear, maybe because you don't get the prohibition, koi, because we don't, it's indeterminate if it's a chaya or behema. You won't get kareid for only the chay of a behama is forbidden, and a half a shear you don't get kareid perhaps you, those are not prohibited it says don't eat any chaleb. so yes when it says you get karate, it says ki kol ochel but as Rocky points out the word kol there is modifying the word ochel kol okay? ochel but only when you eat real chaleb do you get karate. however for the prohibition kol lo even sort of quasi chilev you get karet. You excuse me it's prohibited and what is that? koi and chati shir. so if Yogan says you see look chati shir, it's still prohibited we learn it from the verse of kochelef so the Gemara says no um, it's only rabbinic the verse is just you know uh, rabbinic a hinge for the rabbis to hang their hat on you know with a peg but really it's all rabbinic it's not biblical from kochelef by the way that makes sense these are still right. Uh, if it's biblical, this Pasuk, if we're serious that Kochelah prohibits half of the Kazayas and the Khalif of Koy. so Khoi Svekahu. So Khoi, we don't know whether it's a e- e- Chai or a Behema. It's Trich Krala Suye Why would the verse tell us, oh, by the way, it's still prohibited to eat a koi? right? Of course it's prohibited, meaning God knows if it's Chai or Behema, so God has already told us whether, you know, whether we can or can't eat it, and if we don't know, we'll take the logical step of playing it safe why would the pastor come and tell us this thing that you don't know by the way it's still prohibited I mean that's our ignorance so the mother says no that wouldn't prove it that which is rabbinic because maybe the author of this bright holds koi that a koi is not a chaya not a behema it's in a middle category and therefore that's a good question the Torah says don't eat the chaylev of a, of a behema you can eat the chaylev of a chaya what about something that is neither behema nor chaya it's right in the middle of those two, a koi. Yeah, Is that prohibited or not? Just in just a way, it. that's like a qualitative chasishir, right? It's like a quasi-chelev behema, but it's a quasi-behema. So that also is prohibited based on ko Okay, so that's how comes this person very well could be the writer okay if you don't say that so when we say um, right, don't eat any blood so the Gemara says what's the word kol is coming to do it's coming to include the blood of a koi so the Gemara says why would you need that so again same question if you, why did you need to include the blood of, of a koi yeah, because it's its own category, maybe, although there it's even more bizarre, the Torah prohibits both the blood of a Chaya and a Behemah. Nevertheless, maybe because a Koy is in its own category, its blood would be permissible. So Hakanami, bir yashani, so they're here too. Yes, Kolchelev could be needed biblically if Koy is its own category, b- needed biblically, and Rabbi Yochan would argue that yes, from Kolchelev we learned the biblical prohibition of Shir. So now, one minute, Rabbi Yochan's argument is not just conceptual, look, you're putting Khalib in your body. You're putting chazer in your body. Even if you didn't do an ahiwa that the Torah also would prohibit that. You've got a Pasuk to base it on. Kochhelev. So that tells you even when you don't do the act itself, any type of ingestion of this thing would also be um, would also be forbidden. Now um um, it's an interesting, two interesting questions I just have to say about Hasichir that emerged from here number one is would it apply to anything that is not about food let's say for example I uh, carry on Shabbos half the minimum amount I cook on Shabbos half the minimum amount according to Rabbi Yochanan, have I biblically violated Shabbat or not there's actually an interesting debate a number of posts can say no it only applies to food why does it only apply to food? Because at the end of the day it comes from a pasuk of kochelet. Kochelet goes So we can broaden that conceptually and say that's referring to all macholos asuros, all forbidden foods, right? All eatings. Yom Kippur isn't like a forbidden food, but all eatings. But we have no basis of broadening that verse to things that are not about food, at least not biblically. So it wouldn't be biblically. By the way, for the Michael's in the room, we posk in like Rabbi Yochanan. It is is Doraita. but not according to say many people would say by non-foods because it's based on this verse. Okay. Another way of explaining why it might not apply to non-foods is the point I've been making. If you deal with a, a forbidden object, so right. Remember Rabbi Yochanan's phrase is isura kaachil. It's still chazer. You're putting in your mouth. If you deal with a forbidden object, right? so you can say objectively, even though you haven't done an achilah, you've done something wrong. You've ingested this forbidden thing. It's in your body. right? So that's something that's intrinsically problematic. When things relate not to the object, but to the act, don't do an act of cooking. So then you could say... Did I start the process? Yes, but I have. It's not, it's not, I didn't do it, I, the act of cooking, and it's not like there was an object that was problematic, that was taboo. Like the whole idea of macholos and Surahs is a concept of like, this is a taboo thing, so keep off limits. So any type of engagement with it could be problematic. So that's why some say it only applies to foods, others disagree. One other interesting question about Chati is, Is it a generic prohibition, like learned from Kochelev is translated as a prohibition, don't eat any chasi here of any forbidden foods, or is it a subcategory of the prohibition that it refers to. Chati of dam is like a quasi-violation of dam. Chati shir of chametz a quasi-violation of chametz. Chati shir of chazer quasi-violation of chazer. What difference does it make? So the Ramban already asked the following question. He says, the Allah is if somebody's life is in danger then you, uh, you can violate prohibitions in order to save their life but you violate the lesser prohibition first. Okay? Rather than the high prohibition. He says, let's say to save this guy's life you can feed him either a half of a kezayis of of dam which is an isser an an, an isser kares or a half of a kezayis of chazer okay, would there be a preference to give them the chaser before the dam? Are they both a generic prohibition of chaser here and they're both the same weight? Or do we say, no, one is a quasi-dam prohibition, the other is a quasi-chaser. Quasi-dam is worse than quasi-chaser because dam is correct. Okay, so very interesting debates around how to conceptualize these issues. I have a feeling I just lost um, everyone. No, you got it? Okay. the well, uh, that is interesting, and this is, to and this is to the last to thing on I'm going. Right. Well, this is the last thing I'm going to say. A lot of this makes sense when you focus on forbidding foods, which is, like I said, like what you call an ish Like the object is taboo and problematic. It's the logic to apply it to Yom Kippur is not so obvious because by Yom Kippur it really is about the state of being satiated or unsatiated or the act of eating. It's not really about the object being problematic. So it actually is a li- it's hard within this approach to sort of just throw Yom Kippur into the same category. Okay, let's continue in the Gemara. Now, we actually, that's the end of Chati shir. I just gave you like a whole shir on Chati shir in five minutes so he's unpacking. Mm-hmm. But anyway, it's a Chati shir, shir But okay, now we get to the other theme we introduced uh, where we know that you're not you know the additional inuyim but even before the additional inuyim where do you know you're not allowed to eat and drink on Yom Kippur the Pesach just says te'anu afflict, afflict yourself let's take a look te'anu Rabbanan, te'anu et nach so you should afflict yourself maybe it means <laughs> like sit in the sun or sit in the cold other ways of afflicting your body today she eats like you should be in pain it links do not do or juxtaposes inoy with not doing Malacha. The same way, the way you pro, you you refrain from malachah is by not doing something. It's basically like, don't do X, don't do malachah. Askinu never shave al So also afflicting yourself means don't do something. You can't be t- as opposed yeah, to, to saying don't, don't go, go from the sun. Right, go to the sun. It won't be saying go sit in the sun. Yeah, innocent, to to in the ema is right The ema hechadi yasi b'shimshav v'chaim leh lo ne'malek kum tu Maybe it can be saying pass don't do something don't get out of the sun if you're in the sun and you're it, it's difficult for you don't get out of it you're in the shade the carrier and you're too cold we won't we will tell you don't you know not only we won't tell you sit in the sun but we'll tell you don't go sit in the sun so maybe here too you could passively do inoi by staying where you are so the money says, no, dumya de mulakha. It's similar to mulakha in the following way. Ma malacha Ba. the same way by mulakha there's no distinction. inuy lo By inu there's no distinction. What doesn't mean no distinction? I thought would have thought it meant is that sometimes it's about being in the sun, sometimes it's about being in the cold. Rashi says, no, there's no distinction about passive and active. By Malacha, you always refrain from Malacha by passively not doing something. By inu, sometimes I'm totally comfortable. So the only way to do the Enoid is by being active. Sometimes I could do it passively, but sometimes I have to do it actively. And the juxtaposition to Malacha tells you only a type of an Enoid that can always be done by p- being passive. Okay, that's one thing we learn now. Tanya Ido. we turn it in another verse. Tanurath afflict yourself. Maybe I should go sit in the sun or the cold. Tama Gomar, Bekom Lotasu here's a different Russian not about passive and active the same way that activity is a type of activity that, other, that in other places we you know and as well as this place you get punished for right it's like if you do it's a punishable offense it has to be something that if I did that activity in some other context it would be punishable Sitting in the, you know, so, 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 uh, not sitting, you know, n- sitting in an air conditioned room is never an act that I would be punishable for. As opposed to eating and drinking, I can find you some eatings and drinkings that are punishable. What are they? Forbidden foods. The Eze, What type? Of, what type of an, e- of, of an eating and drinking is punishable, what type of a thing is punishable elsewhere? That Pigo v- Venosa. First of all, like Malacha, we want to find something that elsewhere you get karate. So if you do melach on Shabbos, you get kareid. If you do a type of eating, you get kareid. If you eat piggul and nosar, could have said chelev and dam, avi piggul and nosar shame because fine. That's where you start. That those are. That's an act that otherwise, in a very narrow context, is punishable. But the low that but that won't include, let's say, teva, which is very wavy, but it's misa bide shemaim, it's not karait. Maybe that won't be prohibited. Tamid lamar The double language of teanu and inisem tells you a much broader category, so it includes even Teva. reba. It's inclusive. Fine. Obvious tevel shu I'll include tevel, which is a misa b'deish shemayim, heavenly death. So obvious and nevela she'ain Maybe I won't include things that are simple negative prohibition chazer and nevela. Talmud l'mar tyanu v'inisa Shechem, Sechem No, it's very general. So once you've included one type of forbidden foods, you're going to include all forbidden foods. Obvious and nevela shu Lo obvious achulin she'ain b'lav. That's fine. I'll include forbidden foods, but maybe I won't be forsworn against. Permi- you know, permissible foods, normal plain food, maybe that I'll be allowed to eat. <inaudible> Once it's including forbidden foods, it includes don't eat any food. <inaudible> Fine, I'll include not eating stu- type of food that are, that it's like a rishos, it's discretionary whether I eat. I don't have an obligation to eat. Maybe I won't be prohibited to eat truma, where there's a mitzvah to eat it. Some no, of them we need some but not are including even food that there's a mitzvah to eat. Obviously, that ain't about and fine, Tumar there's a mitzvah to eat, but there's not, I'll step back in a minute, let's finish it. There's Tumar there's a mitzvah to eat, but if you don't eat it, you haven't transgressed the prohibition of leaving it over. Well, obvious, a Kachim She'en B'bal Tothiru, Kachim is a real mitzvah to eat. you got to eat it, if you don't eat it, within a day, you've transgressed. So maybe that, where there's a real mandate to eat, maybe that I'd be allowed to eat on Yom Kippur, it says which is coming to include so what have we done here what we basically have said is how do I know that means don't eat because it, there are other types of eating that are forbidden in the Torah. So if the Torah is forbidding something here, and I don't know exactly what, I look at the idea of and I say, it's got to be forbidding something that in other contexts are forbidden, and that has to do with eating and drinking. Yes, it's true here. It's not just eating and drinking forbidden foods, it's eating and drinking all foods. But I know in other places the act of eating and drinking is a forbidden act, and therefore I'll say that's what the Torah is doing here. This, by the way, very much connects to our previous discussion. Because here, the whole basis of not eating and drinking on Yom Kippur is rooted in the world of Mahkola's Asurat, of forbidden food. Yes, we broaden in the category, but conceptually, we say, what does it mean, don't eat? The same way elsewhere there, the Torah prohibits you from eating certain things. So yeah, Anil Kipper, the certain things is everything, fine, but it's a type of a in a very broad way. Very unusual way of thinking about it, but that's what you have here, thinking about it as machalousurus. As opposed to the previous one, by the way, which linked not eating to the idea of malacha and linked it to being passive and not engaging, that is very suggestive of Rambam's approach, which is it's a type of shvus. Right? Refrain. Refrain from Allah. Refrain from eating and drinking. It's a type of just passive stepping back. So two very different conceptual models of what where we learn the prohibition and how to sort of see where it's located. Now the Gemara says mm-hmm. the Navsa the Brightha continues, and if you want you didn't like that explanation, I'll say Hare Omer, I'll base it on the following way. We have varatias an that if you anybody who doesn't who doesn't afflict themselves, I will destroy that soul inoi so that tells us what type of inoi we're talking about inoi it's not just the punishment it's signaling to us what type of inoi we're referring to an inoi that leads to a wasting away of the not soul but of the body the what type of affliction of, 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 of will actually lead to losing of some of your body you know you drop some calories that's eating and drinking which by the way is the third conceptual model of inoi it's the actual sense of hurting yourself Right? So we have three great models for it. It's a type of which is brought in to include everything. It's a type of stepping back from the world like Melacha. And it's a type of actually taking, you know, hurting yourself, taking something away from your body. Why do we have to look for another pasuk? What was the matter of basing it on the idea of forbidden eating and drinking? No. I'll give you another type of activity that is elsewhere forbidden other than eating and drinking. Set. Sex is forbidden in certain contexts, right? With adultery, um, you know, uh, relatives, and so on. So maybe that's what's being prohibited. Don't have any sex, even a uh, husband and wife. Okay. Same way you're saying, don't have any eating. <laughs> Okay, so that's why we have these three different sources. By the way, I should point out that a number of Mepharshay Hamikra want to argue that it's basically implicit in the word nefesh, that nefesh in the in, in, in biblical Hebrew, and you certainly find it in, in Nach, you know, as, you know a, a, like in Mishle and whatever, can refer to the throat, okay? And in Semitic cognates, the word nefesh refers to the throat or the appetite. So Tzion knew as Nachash says, Someone to suggests means afflict your appetite, your throat, and that Netflix very much suggests the world of eating and drinking. Well, never not, yeah, not always, but it could mean it. Okay, let's just read one more thing. The Bei Rebbe Shmuel Tana Nemar Kain Malhalan The same way an inoy we'll find later means sort of starving. Afkan inoy reavon. Here too, it's starving. What inoi is about starving? Where it says God gave you the man, Okay, He afflicted you and He made you go hungry. So there, you see exactly a juxtaposition of affliction and going hungry. Okay, so we will pick up with this other this this this, this new approach tomorrow. So iner-